0: Welcome to another episode of Doctor Who Too Hot For TV. We are the podcast that looks at all things Doctor Who Extended Universe. From BBC stuff to BBV stuff, from the new adventures to the dark dimension, from fan wank to damn swank, we cover it all. Today I'm joined by freelance writer, occasional film programmer and podcaster. He's one half of On The Time Lash, part of the Strangers In Space team, and a regular right here. It's Mark Donaldson. Mark, how are you?
1: Hello again. Hello. I feel like I'm becoming like the... Alexander Armstrong and Martin (laughs) Clunes of this, you know, have I got news for you style rolling (laughs)
0: co-hosts. Just always here. You are indeed. You're part of the furniture. I know. It's what the people want. I spend all this time drinking coffee and doing podcasts with people in the afternoon. What they want is uncut people getting a bit drunk Uh, uh, and looking at crap that nobody else will cover with me. Yeah, cool. And you've definitely picked... Nah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I won't spoil it.
0: Yeah, we're going to be looking at some anniversary stories today. Possibly with a multi-Doctor edge, because, you know, it is November. Or it will be when this goes out. It's October and we've had, you know, multiple Doctors in the past, like, two days. So, So as you'll probably hear as we reference various things over this, Power of the Doctor was broadcast about two days ago. And today is the eve of the Disney Plus announcement. We're not going to talk about that in great detail because, I mean... This will be out of date by the time it comes out, and every podcast will have said it first. So (laughs) we don't do current here. We usually do things that are 20 to 30 years old. (laughs) So, Mark, can I get your general thoughts on anniversary stories, multi-doctor stories, which ones you think work for you, which one don't, any favourites? Yeah,
1: that's a good question, isn't it? Because, I mean, it used to be they were a rarity, and now they're kind of ubiquitous (laughs) in kind of Doctor Who. And I think Mm. that's partly the way the kind of pop culture landscape's changed, is that now Doctor Who... In a kind of post sort of Marvel thing, each Doctor yeah. is technically its own franchise. Yeah. And, and, and so, therefore, bringing them all together in comics or on audio or on tele is kind mm. of exciting. But you should also kind of play that safe and not kind of do it every week or every year or.
0: Well, I mean, there's some certain comic strips and things like that that I think love bringing the Doctors together. And I guess, as you say, Doctor Who's played it fairly safe up until recently. But I think people just want that in rush of nostalgia. I'm not sure it works for Doctor Who in the same way as it does for other franchises. Because when you get the Avengers together, they're all multifaceted different things. With Doctor Who, you are getting together a bunch of people who are the same person. Yes,
1: yes. that That is the thing. And the 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 fun of a multi-Doctor story is always the interactions... Let's be honest, not really between the doctors, but the actors. Yeah. There's always that kind of added layer of, so you've got Davison and Tenant. you know, Tenant blowing smoke up Davison's If in, in Time Crash. <laughs> you've got Pertwee and Trouton's kind of bantering with each other. All of that's the relationship between the actors more than it is the, the incarnations. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of what ones are like, I love the five doctors because it's just a big old party. And I know my only time Lash colleague, Ben, doesn't, uh, particularly enjoy it what? oh you know I think just what a miserable prick I know eh <laughs> that's why he's not on so yeah the five because the five doctors I think was the first multi-doctor story I would have watched because I yeah, remember that me too. VHS cover the second one mm. the special edition one just looking amazing because yeah. it's you know it's got five yeah. doctors yeti
0: cybermen Daleks it, you know it looks amazing I tried to watch that quite recently with my girlfriend who likes a little dip into classic Doctor Who every now and then and I forgot how fucking boring it is to start with <laughs> for Doctor Who fans it's brilliant and I would actually argue that what I like the most about the five doctors now is actually that DVD commentary that's got Phil Collins and, and David Tennant. and I think that's my preferred <laughs> viewing of the five doctors is with that commentary
1: I wish they'd done more things that, I mean I know they've got the kind of behind the sofa thing yeah. now I mean, it will never, ever happen. But I would have loved to have watched all the Trial of a Time Lord with a commentary by Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall. (laughs) I think it would have been amazing.
0: Do you not think that's one for uh, Phantom with their Who Talks commentaries in 30 years' time? They'll they'll get those two out of (laughs) retirement to do that. I think
1: Jodie Whittaker would be up for it. Chris Chibnall,
0: maybe less so. He doesn't talk about anything, (laughs) unless he's forced to.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, multi-doctor stories. So, yeah, five doctors, love it. Two doctors, not for me i get what yeah. they're trying to do it's that kind of what would a normal run-of-the-mill doctor Who story look like if the doctors kind of just happen to bump into yeah. each other and i think we've had better versions of that since in big finish mm. and novels and and things like that although again you know that kind of became ubiquitous in the novels didn't it because there was yeah there was cold fusion and then there was like was it Heart of the Tardis or something with the fourth Doctor and yeah. the second Doctor? and?
0: By the time you get to the past Doctors range of BBC books and the Eighth Doctor ranges, it happens all the time. I've been picking up some of the past Doctor books recently and I picked one up that I assume was just Trouton, mm. but it's Troughton and McCoy. Oh, right, okay. What you, you, that? There's nothing on the cover. It's, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's one of the later ones and it's just got Troughton on the front. But but if you read it, it's, uh, it's Trouton and the seventh Doctor. It's bizarre, isn't
1: it? And I think it's that thing of like, you've at that point, you could do whatever the hell you liked because nobody was really paying attention. And now, I mean, for Big Finish, obviously there's a marketing and commercial thing behind it, isn't there? It's like, yeah, you're obviously going to sell out of David Tennant meeting Colin Baker or Peter Davison or Sylvester McCoy or whatever. But I think Day of the Doctors, Day of the Doctors and the Three Doctors, I think, are my two absolute favourites because I think they have their fun, but they also kind of push the show in a, new direction which i think is kind of what you want to do with a multi-doctor story because it's about learning from your past in a way i've always kind of liked that sort of perspective on it
0: yeah no i i think you're probably right it's interesting earlier what you're saying about we were talking about them all basically being the same person and you say it becomes about the actors recently in power of the doctor those classic doctors cameos that role wouldn't have changed whether there was 20 Doctors or one Doctor there. Mm, yeah. You know, they were jumping in and out of that thing and they all got to have their little bits, but it was just as many Doctors as we can get here.
1: Yeah, but then it worked beautifully with Janet Fielding and Sophie Aldred.
0: True, but I also think you could probably get those moments with Jodie's Doctor in a sort of school reunion sort of way. I see what you mean. Or it could have just been Fifth and the Seventh Doctor sat there. The others didn't technically need to be there because there was no... Aye.
1: I'm glad McGann was there, though.
0: Yeah, but it's just some of the Doctors, isn't it? It's the thing that <laughs> Stephen Moffat always feared, yes. which was it could be the sum of the Doctors rather than... Because there is no reason why it's just those ones, except they're alive and available. Yes. <laughs> too, too, too hot for TV. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the script for the unmade 30th anniversary story, The Dark Dimension, or as it was retitled at one point, Lost in the Dark Dimension. Just to give you a bit of background at the time, so this is a script dated the 21st of the 6th, 1993, The Dark Dimension by Adrian Rigelsford, Rigelsford, who knows how you say it. It was marked as a rehearsal script, first revisions. News at the time, Alan Yentob doesn't rule out a future series on the Entertainment Express art show, what a surprise. But, and this is interesting, bearing in mind it's June and this hasn't been announced yet. BBC Video's 30th anniversary one-off was officially cancelled. So Dark Dimensions must have been cancelled twice. Mm. But we'll look at that a bit more <laughs> later on yeah. down the line. But it's I, I presume this is something to do with, they had an idea that became the Dark Dimension. There was another plot outline before that and it was cancelled and then they tried to make Dark Dimension. A new Doctor Who audio was in the works known as The Paradise of Death it was about to start recording that that month with the third Doctor, Sarah Jane and the Brigadier. Genesis of the Daleks was being repeated on BBC2 and averaging 2.3 million per episode in viewing figures the comic strip running was Emperor of the Daleks featuring the seventh Doctor, Benny Ace and Absom Dak. Silver Nemesis was out on VHS in all its metallic glory (laughs) and BBV had just released The Stranger in Memory Alone any of those releases, do you have any particular fondness or hatred for?
1: I <laughs> Genesis the Daleks is rubbish, isn't it? Uh, no. Uh,
0: <laughs> what
1: was the video? Sorry, that was released
0: Silver Nemesis. Yeah,
1: I mean, you talked about it. I don't think it'll be in the last. It was the last but one of these. Is that right? Yeah. And that documentary was was great fun. You know, I remember yeah. I remember really in, enjoying that because you didn't really get that in the nineties. You know, sort of no, Doctor it... Who special features as it were. That was a nice thing.
0: It's a real oddity that that exists, and for that story, it's just, you know.
1: But then it was the 25th anniversary,
0: I suppose, so... Yeah, exactly. And Doctor Who fans need to celebrate every five years or something goes wrong. absolutely. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the dark dimension, as you're here, (laughs) do you have a themed drink?
1: Well, of course. To be fair, I've not gone particularly elaborate with this. I have a can of Vocations Maple Glaze, which is a maple and coconut stout. So a dark beer... For the Dark Dimension.
0: Well, we can smash that together with my beer from the Tempest well, Brewing Company. I the Co- Tempest Brewing Company. And they've got one called Parallel Dimension. Very nice. Very nice. So we've got a Dark and we've got a Dimension. <laughs> there we go. Too, too, too hot for TV. The seventh Doctor is dead, and Dorothy keeps seeing flashes of the life she never lived. Daleks, Cybermen, and Yeti. When she comes into contact with a shabby old hobo, it is soon revealed that he is the fourth Doctor, who failed to regenerate at the Faris Project years ago. Along with the Brigadier, Dorothy and the Doctor attempt to put time back on track, which has been manipulated by Hawkspur, who is not only in control of the various creatures on the loose, but is also bonded with a creature composed of chronal energy. On their journey, they encounter the third, fifth, sixth and seventh Doctor, before returning to the present to face Hawkspur who falls to his death in a duel with the fourth Doctor, while the creature is sucked into the time vortex. With time back on track, the fourth Doctor regenerates into the seventh, and he and Ace head off into the sunset once more. Too, 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 too hot for TV! When did you first become aware there was a thing called the Dark Dimension? Um, It wouldn't be 93,
1: because I think at that point, I was kind of just watching repeats. And for me, the 30th anniversary special was... You know, dimensions in time, which I would
0: argue. I mean, at
1: least it's only fifteen minutes long.
0: <laughs> don't remember Ian Levine's got a thirty-five minute edit of it. Oh God,
1: why? <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, that was kind of the, that was the thirtieth anniversary special for me. So yeah, I don't know when it would have been that I heard about. It. I do remember probably just in reading Doctor Who magazine in kind of those years yeah. after the McGann movie where you start to kind of, you're just hoovering up as much information as you can about Doctor Who. Yeah. And I'd heard there was a kind of cancelled 30th anniversary movie and there was that sort of picture of the uh, Cyberman that they were going to use. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. And 30 years
0: yeah. later, I've finally read the script and
1: uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to
0: that. I was similar to you. I got into Doctor Who in 1989. In 1993, I went off it i just kind of grown out of it <laughs> I'd grown out of it I was into wrestling and other things like that and then around November of that year I got ill from school and Jack, despite only being three had got into Doctor Who and my uncle was still buying him Doctor Who videos so I was like, oh I'll throw on this Resurrection of the Daleks I'd never seen it and I was back in <laughs> You showed a three-year-old Resurrection of the Daleks I I know it's weird isn't it (laughs) I remember my nan saying Jack wants to watch this thing called The Dead in a Sausage I'm like a dead in a sausage It was the Deadly Assassin
1: (laughs) I mean there is a lot of dead in a sausage But I won't start with my vegan vegan (laughs) agenda
0: (laughs) So I got back into it Watched what was it 30 Years in the TARDIS I watched that when it came out And that from then onwards I was in Like, I was just in here, and I was a proper Doctor Who fan, I guess. But I... So I'd missed all of the 30th anniversary. Right. And I started picking up back issues of DWM, and I picked one up, and it said, Doctor Who is back, 30th anniversary thing. No internet, anything like that. I'm like, oh, fuck, there's an episode of Doctor Who with all the Doctors that I haven't seen. And it was probably about two months before I finally found out that it didn't exist. Were you just kind of going into your local HMV, just sort of scouring the shelves yeah because I mean how do you find these things out and eventually I picked up the issue where it said it was cancelled and I was like for fuck's sake and then probably when I was about 12 or 13 the nth Doctor came out and that had a summary of the plot in it and I thought at 12 years old I thought (laughs) this is the greatest thing that has never been made like what were they thinking gritty to a 12 year old action packed to a 12 year old solid proper Doctor Who to a 12 year old the naivety of youth, though. Eh? Well, you say that,
1: but actually I think there's something very interesting in what your average 12-year-old thinks is kind of gritty and grown-up and what your, shall we say, slightly sheltered, uh, doc- <laughs> grown adult Doctor Who fan thinks is kind of gritty and, and grown-up. and
0: Exactly that, yeah. And, I mean, we, I think we still see that today on Twitter of people <laughs> yeah. saying what they think Doctor Who should be. Yes. And it's very rarely it's very rarely that i just want to give a bit of background to the project for people that may be unaware most of the facts i'm going to drop in this are from john preddle's article inside the dark dimension which i found online at the new zealand doctor who fan club there is a huge article in nothing at the end of the lane i got about
1: halfway through it i didn't realize how long it was. it's great it's very very comprehensive <laughs> It's basically a book um, but yeah it's yeah. essentially a, um a novella
0: So feel free to stop me if I say anything that you now know to be incorrect. In sort of late 1992, BBC Enterprises formulated a plan for a a special feature-length episode to celebrate Doctor Who's 30th anniversary in November 1993. Now, Enterprises was... Basically the people to put the videos out. They didn't make dramas or anything like that. Two of Enterprise's senior producers, Penny Mills and David Jackson, persuaded Enterprise's senior manager, Tony Greenwood, to take on the project as video only. Fun fat listeners, many years ago I lived with Tony Greenwood's daughter, but uh, (laughs) I'm not in touch with her, so so he's not coming on the podcast. (laughs) They commissioned Adrian Rigelsford, or Rigelsford, who knows, who was the writer of the Doctor Who book, The Monsters, who in turn bought on director Graham Harper. At this time, it became apparent that Alan Yentob was interested in a possible BBC One screening, so agreed to put some money into it. Uh, the Dark Dimensions, and later The Lost in the Dark Dimensions, brief was to include all the surviving doctors, the most popular monsters, and another writer called Joanna McCall was brought in to assist uh, Adrian, who hadn't done much writing in that respect before. Any of that sound incorrect to you? Not as far as I... know.
1: no, that all sounds... Yeah. The yeah, the the chain of events.
0: So let's talk about the choice of writer here. It's an odd one, isn't it?
1: It is. Um now if I remember rightly, hang on a second. They got Adrian Riggle's Rigglesford, Rigglesford Rigelsford Rigelsford Should we just call him Adrian? Aid. We'll call him Aid. Aid. Big Aid. Um convicted felon Adrian Rigglesford. <laughs> uh, cut that out. Um <laughs> although it's not it's not a lie. It's, yeah. it really? it's not a lie. That's, We're not that's slandering true. anybody. We're not. He has spent time in prison. Yeah.
0: Uh, for, the, anyway. for the nerdiest of crimes you could possibly <laughs> spend
1: time in prison for. So Nick Crawley, who was an acquaintance of uh, Vicky Thomas, who worked at BBC Enterprises, um, suggested that... Twen- this is from uh, the Nothing at the End of the Lane article... Nick Crawley suggested that uh, 23-year-old Adrian Rigglesford might be a su- may- might be suitable. Uh, Adrian was a long-term Doctor Who fan who had been helping to develop various script ideas and was known to be fairly quick as a writer. So arrangements <laughs> were duly made to discuss the idea of a special with him. So that's basically why he was chosen because he can turn things around quickly and he was a Doctor Who fan. Which I think Sets the scene for what happens Yeah, next. Ex-
0: exactly. So, as you say, he, he is apparently a script writer. Uh, he, he's done a fair amount of factual writing and things like that, so it's he's not a million miles away, although it's not... And, and some commission- less than
1: factual writing. Is- <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, within Doctor Who fandom, he has a reputation of being a bullshitter. Now, I've never had any dealings with the man, but I've spoken to several people that had... Including, if you read my book, Downtime, The Lost Years of Doctor Who, Nick Briggs doesn't have anything very positive to say about <laughs> him. Uh, now, it has been alleged that he blacked the BBC into thinking that he had been a writer and that, that, that they could commission him to do this. I can't find any proof of that online. But, I mean, if he did, that's a hell of a hustle and I respect the man for it. Yes. Yeah. Just to kind of jump forward... He would do some scripting of television again. He wrote for the sci-fi series Space Island 1, which was on Sky One in 1998, which was kind of like a sci-fi soaker. He also wrote one story for Big Finish, The Roof of the World, which is a main-range story with Peter Davison and the Fifth Doctor. I vaguely remember that, yeah. And he was attached to write for the Lethbridge-Stewart spin-off books before (laughs) being quietly dropped. There we go. This is obviously the first time you've read this script. Yes, and the last i imagine i can't think uh, of any reason why you'd <laughs> no reason to go back to it i guess i'd like to start with so he isn't necessarily what you would class as like a renowned writer how does the script read to you it's there's a quote from
1: graham harper in the the richard bicknell article where it says something like i was given a script and it was the best action <laughs> film i'd ever read and the best doctor Who story i'd ever read
0: was it this one
1: I don't think it was this one that we've read. I think it was an earlier right. draft um from from the dates of it uh but i don't i don't think it's it's very it reads very much like somebody who has watched a lot of Doctor Who, yeah and is then kind of trying to write their version of Doctor Who.
0: It's trying to write an edgy version of Doctor mm. Who, I think a little bit, but then when you look at like you think that Tom Baker's sort of the lead. And they're looking at Alan Rickman and Brian Blessed in some of these. Yes, you just think this dialogue is going to be chewed up and spat out against some rickety old sets at some point. Yeah, and the way he writes, like the 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 script is two hundred pages long. It's long. Yeah. Now, I read a lot of scripts for my job, and I have never seen a two hundred page script, and I've seen some overwritten scripts. (laughs) It it also has too much description. It like the key to a good script generally is it's not prose, but he yeah. kind of writes the description like it's prose, so you get a lot of fluff in there but really you leave that stuff down to the director and someone like Graham Harper is going to do what he wants anyway mm-hmm. um, so it is a bit of a a weird script the dialogue it, is quite interesting as well I think because I think a lot of it is how, what a Doctor Who fan thinks sci-fi characters speak like <laughs> Like, there's not a lot of naturalism in there. No. First of all, the Doctor has this weird voiceover at the start, but only for, like, one or two scenes, <laughs> yeah. which uh, which is a bit odd. And that's because he's obviously heard Tom Baker doing voiceovers. And things. <laughs> Get that in there. And then Hawkspur has lines like, we have a slight problem to deal with, namely your incompetence. Which I can imagine being said by, like, Tobias Vaughan in The Invasion, but it's 1993.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I can hear that being delivered by Rick Mail with suitable yes. relish, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, is, there
0: is a bit of that.
1: But I think at this point, he wasn't necessarily attached.
0: Another Hawksbury line is You appreciate death with a far greater sense of irony. Again, Rick Mail, Brian Blessed, I can hear it, but. I don't think it's the, the sort of dialogue that's going to attract a top tier of talent, shall we say.
1: No, it's not. I and mean, there's just... There's some really just very clunky... Like, um, when they sort of open up the time portal at the start and say, like, how far back is it going? They used to call it the Big Bang. Her oh. wry smile is lost on Everett. The hydrogen inrush. The point when creation began. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, it's like
0: Pip and Jane Baker of, you know... I mean, that is literally paraphrasing Castro Valva, i think
1: yeah i think so and it's like just just say the start of the universe mate
0: yeah <laughs> that's all you need start the universe we all know what it means
1: uh we better take him back the med techs will want him if our lot don't i mean again it's just like so yeah. just like you know
0: very cliche sort of clunky doctor Who dialogue what what I will say is that it's very much a three-act structure, which, you know, is the basis of writing a good script. What I want to do is sort of, we're going to take it in these three acts because okay. I think they're quite clearly signposted and maybe you'll disagree, I don't know. The first act is obviously the setup, and it doesn't really feature the Doctor that much. We get a dead Doctor at the beginning and then we get a bit of a Tom Baker being a drunk or half-dead, one of the two, It depends what day he showed up to the studio for this <laughs> shot. It. So... What do we think of this first third that doesn't feature the Doctor? And it is page 75 before he shows up in earnest. That really struck me as
1: odd because Mm. the whole... Because what I'd always understood of The Dark Dimension was that Tom Baker had expressed an interest in doing Doctor Who again. So Mm. they kind of ramped up this whole production. So you would think that you would kind of want him front and centre... Now, obviously, that has two problems. One of which is that, well, Sylvester McCoy's the Doctor, right? And then the other problem is that, obviously, Tom Baker is, you know, hasn't been the Doctor for ages. It's been a no. decade, and, you know, he doesn't necessarily yeah. look like how he used to. So those those are problems. And it feels like it's taking 75 pages for the writer to work out how to fix that. <laughs> it's just odd, because you want the Doctor... It's a Doctor Who anniversary special, and I guess if, like, if you're do if you're telling a story because it's a dystop because basically because of what's happened, there's a dystopian world where the Doctor is kind of just a shambling lunatic who kind of wanders around the streets and and he's not there and it's like kind of what happens when the Doctor's not there to to Earth. That's a great concept. Russell T. Davis did it very well in Turn Left. <laughs> But that was 45 minutes
0: and 75 yeah. pages is what, about an hour, of, an hour of screen time? I mean, quite easily. The usual rule of thumb is that it's a minute a page. But yeah. obviously here, for some reason, I don't know, it's how the BBC presented their scripts at the time. It's every, it's like a page and a half. Then it changes. There's never mm-hmm. like two. So when we say 200 pages, we're probably looking at 150, which is still too fucking long. Yeah,
1: but that's anyway. still about two and a half hours, isn't it? It's, yes,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so I mean that's a long time for the doc for you know for Tom Baker to be kind of shambling around in his burgundy coat. I go, yeah. oh, was that the Doctor? Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm going to keep watching. Maybe they just
0: it. thought they'd pick him up in Soho, just shambling <laughs> around a bit as <laughs> yeah. like, cutaways. We're just sort guerrilla guerrilla filmmaking, <laughs> Save on the budget. Yeah. So yeah, it's an, it's an odd move. It's a really odd move. There are bits of this first act that I really like, and in a way, I like the mystery it sets up. And while I don't think it's the best in or reboot of Doctor Who, which I suppose this isn't a reboot, this is a celebration. It kind of shares something in common with the most recent Terminator film, in that I think it goes really wrong when the Doctor shows up, like the most recent Terminator film goes really wrong when Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up. In that I'm quite enjoying bits of it like so we start off in the far future there's this creature we've got these eco troopers led by summerfield
1: one of my favorite script directions on the eco troopers because obviously it's put kind i guess it's kind of supposed to be bernie summerfield
0: yeah it is
1: but so basically they, they all turn up in like helmets and armor and whatever and then basically so like summerfield's the first one to take the helmet off reveals that she's a woman uh, and then there's the direction the other eco troops remove the helmets We see that they are all women. And the emphasis is on all. There is an emphasis on all that's underlined. They are all women.
0: The 90s, eh? Written like a true 90s Doctor Who fan. (laughs) (laughs) I could see Graham Harper shooting this bit well and it kind of working. But then we're getting to the point, those eco-troopers are in the plot and they serve no real function after that except to be taken over by the main villain like a million other things can be. Mm. I guess the one thing that had it been made, whoever played Summerfield would probably be the, ver- the voice of Benny now on Big Finish Audios. Yeah, What a dark dimension that is. <laughs> and so they finally find the fourth Doctor. He's old they take him to hospital a needle breaks on his skin which is another very 90s idea mm. that's never been touched on in doctor who ever since to make out like the doctor's invincible but then i was thinking is that is that part of the reason he didn't die when he fell off the tower because now he's somehow invincible i don't i just didn't Possibly. didn't quite get it but it yeah. doesn't kind of tie that together does it no exactly but we're introduced to dorothy mm. or, ace so this first part's very much centered on her and the guy she's shagging who is the brigadier's son dorothy is an environmental terrorist turned teacher the word <laughs> terrorist was thrown about with a lot less connotations back then i guess
1: but... yeah I've, I've just been what for something I'm, I'm writing tomorrow just been watching a lot of star trek from the 90s in which which introduces the marquee which were the kind of star trek's terrorist group and they're all quite sympathetic and they're all, you know, like, and you kind of like, yeah. yeah, I kind of see their point, to be honest. Um, yeah. And I remember there was a documentary about Deep Space Nine where they said we could not do those storylines if we had been going out after 9-11. There's just yeah. absolutely no, no way it would have been allowed. They're freedom fighters. <laughs> they are freedom fighters.
0: Do we buy this reality for Ace? Because I kind of feel like... If Ace hadn't have met the Doctor, she would have ended up in prison or fucking taking Skag or something like that. She'd still be on Ice World. Oh, shit. Well, or would she? I don't... Cartmel Master Plan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy that she suddenly becomes a teacher. No. Oh, I suppose we're talking a decade later, technically, because this is set in 99, right? Yes.
1: Because yeah. that's when all 90s Doctor Who was set, apparently.
0: Yeah. It's 1999. <laughs> <laughs> because uh- shit was going to pop off. Millennium <laughs> yeah. bugs and all that.
1: And it doesn't feel like Ace. No. You know, which I guess is kind of the point, but there's no inkling throughout any of it that yeah. she's ace. Watching Power of the Doctor, she's an older woman who's still fucking sliding across floors, picking up machine guns, like whacking Daleks around. In this, she's a very much like a kind of any sixth, like she's basically Victoria in a weird yeah. kind of a way. Um, yeah, she's, she's not that kind of confident woman that you see in the McCoy era. No, it's very
0: ineffective. But she gets all these visions of Daleks and Cybermen and Yetis and what have you, which is a bit dimensions in time. You know, she can see them, but other people can't. Does it make sense for it to be her, though? No. Would like would this have not worked better with Sarah Jane or
1: something that? was my there? exact thought reading it, because I was like, well, okay, fine. If you're going to... Because one of the, the sort of oft-repeated things about this is that the other Doctors were insulted by how little they were in it. And it does read like this is a guy who stopped watching Doctor Who after Tom Baker (laughs) fell off Jodrell Bank. So it's odd to have Sophie Aldridge there because it's not as if, and God love her, you know she's one of my favourite companions, I thought she was great in the most famous Doctor Who, but she wasn't a huge draw in 1993.
0: No, she's become more, I guess you'd say popular now, and not just with new fans. I think people that were watching Doctor Who Mm. that were our age in the late 80s and the early 90s remember her fondly and actually because Doctor Who's a bit more popular now and people are older, people that are in their late 30s 40s goes yeah Ace was amazing, I loved her in a way that if you'd had asked them when they were 15 or 25 what they thought of Doctor Who and Ace they would have gone Ace Who yeah. so she's got into the folklore of good bits of Doctor Who a little bit more than mm. the companion who was the companion when the show got cancelled and nobody watched it.
1: Yeah and it feels like it's literally just aid. Um <laughs> just kind of dropping her in to kind of bridge the gap between yeah. the last episode of the last series. And I think that therein kind of lies a problem with the Dark Dimension is that I don't think it ever really knows what it wants to be.
0: Because no.
1: reading the Nothing at the End of the Lane article, there's an outline for Dark Light, which was one of his kind of previous pitches to kind of bring back Doctor Who, which kind of had a similar kind of thing. It was, I think, going to have Tom Baker as a kind of shambling Doctor Who, was kind of Rocky style brought back from the brink
0: you know (laughs) to defeat brian blessed or whatever it comes up a couple of times this old tom baker it comes up in the tv movie when the bbc execs Mm. go well we don't want sylvester mccoy we want tom baker there is another company who pitched a version with older tom baker in one of the very early russell t davis conversations that happened in the noughties they were like well let's bring tom baker back and he's a madman living in an attic Mm -hmm. the sarah jane adventures who meets a bunch of young kids and they go on and vent. So, because he is seen as the most iconic figure in the role, and Tom Baker can still act in Tom Baker's way in the nineties, you know that style of acting and what he. I think he could still pull it off with a bit of gravitas yeah. in in the nineties. You know, he's still getting away with it at least on audio these days.
1: And this it doesn't know if it wants to just be a kind of hard reset with Tom Baker as the Doctor again. So you would have Liz Sladen back. You would you would have Nick Courtney. Now, obviously, at this point, was Liz not kind of in semi-retirement raising her daughter?
0: Yes, I think she was, but she does downtime a few years later. That's so true. That's true. Yeah. To be honest, I think she was in semi-retirement mainly because she just wasn't getting the roles rather than it being mm. a, a permanent choice. It's interesting that it kind of goes for this environmental thriller thing as well. So... It, in a very 90s way. So it is somewhere between <laughs> Dimensions and Time and the Airzone Solution, yes. <laughs> the two anniversary yeah. specials we do get. But there you go. I mean, apparently that's what you're going to do in the 90s. Uh, <laughs> multi-doctors uh, in environmental thrillers.
1: You'd think there were so many environmental thrillers in the 90s, we'd have solved it all by now. But, yeah. <laughs> um, apparently c- Clearly not enough people bought the Airzone Solution uh, from yeah. HMV.
0: Well, guys, it's on Amazon Prime, I think for free, so you can all watch it. And if you yeah. want to hear... The too hot for TV review of it. We did it this time last year. I oh, think nice. that was the thing that that drove Jack off in the end. You know, <laughs> <it was> the... <laughs> so we've got this introduction. We meet. We see the brigadier again. The ace is banging his son. His son goes missing, <laughs> and then the Doctor shows up. Essentially, this yeah. fourth Doctor. Can you imagine Tom Baker delivering half of these lines? No. No. I mean, he would be improvising all the way yeah. through.
1: They're all, yeah, they're all quite... Florid isn't the word.
0: (laughs) Isn't the word. (laughs) Because
1: it's... But it's very kind of wordy and, you know...
0: It's Doctor Who fan film level of writing for the eccentric Time Lord. Yeah. And also it's
1: interesting that that, uh, Baker wanted Douglas Adams. (laughs) What he gets is this. Was he ever given... I'm I'm not sure if I'm clear on whether he was ever given a... But he must have been, because... All the other doctors got to see
0: it. I believe he was given the script. And also, uh, from what I understand, he was paid for it. Right. Because he was the only one that was contracted. Sure. We also get some weird H.G. Wells stuff, stuff scattered in there as well, which is all a bit basic bitch sci-fi, I think. There's like the <laughs> odd quotes of it. And then the stuff, in, they, there's this library. Yeah, the library, which is supposed to be the TARDIS or something, isn't it? It's, yeah,
1: TARDIS is expanded and in the into a church and the library... And,
0: yeah. I think that's a I think that's a really cool idea and I could see that working well in a comic. I'm not sure mm. the budget they had in mind for this, it would have just been a library they'd hired somewhere with some <laughs> Randall somewhere and a few computer banks. But like as like this infinite maze of a library, I could see it working well. They kind of bring the Doctor Round who has apparently been under control of Hawk the villain, for all this time.
1: Yeah, but it never really kind of goes into what that means, is it just that he's kind of, I guess, just kept him not quite sedate, but kind of he's never going to rebel and he's never going to jump in and save the day.
0: And That's why he's been a bum for all this time, <laughs> essentially. We get to this point where the Doctor and the Brigadier and Ace jump into the vortex. We'll come to that in a bit. So Hawkspur slash the, the Creature is our main enemy. And the Creature is this unstoppable energy which apparently was going to look like a billowing, floating death, but I imagine would have looked like a varden or something like that. <laughs> How do you feel about this villain that's kind of thrown in there as a new element? Because there is some new elements in here.
1: There is, there is. I think it's fine. I don't think there's anything, there's nothing that stops you from, you know, including a new villain in an anniversary special. No,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: And, you know, the idea of, he's kind of, he's like a rich industrialist who becomes Prime Minister by Somehow, the end of this by the, yeah.
0: by the end of this. We never explain why, but he is. Yeah.
1: By the end of Act One well, not Act One, but the kind of Yeah, I guess Act One. Yeah. It's pretty much yeah. he's in there by then, isn't he? So I mean he's it but I just don't really get the 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 character He's kind of like a scientist who wanted to get eternal life or something and then yeah. unleashed a creature in a church and the
0: creatures yeah. allowed him to live forever. But do you know what it screams screams to me as? They wanted to use the Master, but because it's the 90s and continuity matters in a way, they went, well, we don't want Anthony Ainley to do it. We want to get a big yeah. name for the villain, so we'll write someone that's just yeah. like the Master, but not the Master.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting going back to it, sort of looking back on it after Power of the Doctor, and it's just like, oh, yeah, actually, you because obviously Hawksburg kind of commands the Daleks and the Cybermen, and is kind mm. of, you know, at the, the heart of it all. So, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. It was all, almost certainly... Oh, we can't have somebody, we can't have Rick Mayle in Anthony Inley's wig be
0: kind of yeah. rolled over <laughs>
1: with a well, little I mean, regeneration effect on his face.
0: <laughs> the little, the, the, the choices were, and this is quite a list, Rick Mail, David Bowie, which he was also on <laughs> the list for Sharers Jack as well. Can you imagine Bowie in this? Brian Blessed <laughs> or David Warner? With Brian Blessed being apparently a very good friend of AIDS, and they'd written a a book together about Mount Everest. Yes, I've read that, yeah. Hmm. Because I think he was in the original Darklight
1: bid. Yes. As the Doctor or the villain, I can't remember exactly who.
0: At some point I feel like he was both. Yes, quite probably. You know, when they're like, we've got this actor who we're mates with who might help us get a bit of funding, they're like, we've got Brian Blessed. You don't want to miss the Doctor. He's playing the villain. It's fine. Yeah. We just, just, as long as he's in it. David Bowie, I can't imagine ever doing no. it. We missed out twice on David Bowie. And Do- but is this just Graham Harper just really wants to meet David Bowie?
1: Has he not actually, did he not say that? <laughs> like, I'm oh, sure right. he's, I'm Probably, sure yeah. I've heard him in an interview say he just really liked David Bowie, so he just always yeah. suggested. <laughs> Because did he not suggest him for the DJ in uh, Revelation of the Daleks as well? Probably, yeah.
0: Along I'm sure Jimmy I've heard Saville. him say that. <laughs> yes! What a list.
1: Yeah, good luck Good luck trying to put that in a special edition of the Blue
0: Ring. <laughs> Cutting around him. The other thing is, again, it's like he gets his science only from Doctor Who. <laughs> because Hortspur, who is also this creature, moves through static electricity and gloats about it at one point, And you're like, what's so good about static electricity? Like, I don't understand why this is the power source for this, this amazing creature. And also, the Daleks transcended static electricity decades ago.
1: <laughs> which he would have known if he'd watched Doctor Who pass there
0: to our main villain. And part of the remit from Worldwide, as we said, was to include people's favourite monsters. So we get the Yeti, we get the Daleks, the Ice Warriors, the Cybermen. But they're, all, they're not only controlled by him. There's a point where he turns the trooper into a Dalek towards the end. Mm. So it's they're all almost parts of him. So we're not even getting the true versions of the Cybermen or the Daleks or anything like that. We're getting almost like the lumbering drone versions. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these things became in the 80s to a certain extent of like, just wheel them out.
1: Yeah, and arguably, certainly the Cybermen, what they kind of became in the new series. Yeah. Which kind of become kind of a drone army um, for, for a lot of it. Uh, which is kind of a shame. You'd kind of what you want them. Uh, and it also just, it just feels like they're there because it's a Doctor Who anniversary special. Yeah. There's no story
0: reason for them to be there. I mean, you could argue in The Power of the Doctor and in most of Stephen Moffat's finales that, you know, they tend to wheel out the Daleks and the Cybermen, but they're just because we need a load of monsters and these yeah. costumes already exist. Which now the uh, Doctor Who empire is owned by the House of the Mouse or whatever. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> as I mentioned as well, the Brig's there because it's the ninety. 90- it's a nineties reboot of Doctor Who, so the Brigadier contractually has to be there for some reason. <laughs> and I suppose he is a good in because he is the one that knows all the incarnations and you're not doing a rose where you're going you're not really talking about the past you're just going he's an alien but and i do think the briggs intro is nicely done because he's at a peace conference obviously because where else (laughs) would he be and then there's a news report about his son disappearing and the news report just explains exactly who the brigadier is yeah that's that's a neat bit of exposition that doesn't feel you know over the top or it's quite it's quite a good bit of writing Yeah, yeah. I mean, it had to happen at some point during this. (laughs) And at some point we get the Brig and Ace and Bessie. Do you know what? Bessie can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's one of those things that people wheel out as like a symbol of Doctor Who and I just think it makes it look shit. Disgust. I
1: (laughs) broadly agree with you. I think maybe Ben and I had this conversation when we did Ambassadors of Death. And I think he said your exact words which was Bessie can fuck off. (laughs) But the thing I always remember about Bessie is the story Richie tells our friend Richie Morgan of I Hate Doctor Who tells this story about how he worked with a guy who was a big Doctor Who fan in the 60s and stopped watching it when John Pertwee came in because uh, he wasn't travelling in time and space anymore he had a job and a car (laughs) and it was a really shit kind of you know Edwardian car as well. Yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's it's one of those things isn't it that i think um it sort of ties into that kind of oh doctor who's a bit quirky isn't it a bit quirky yeah. and british and you know it's an affectation that mm. continues to get wheeled out and it's an affectation because john Part we liked cars
0: yeah
1: but somehow it's now this kind of symbol of the quirkiness and you know the indefinable magic of doctor Who. Is, yeah, is, you yellow know a yellow fucking car. roadster <laughs> yeah
0: I'm glad that that is something that has not made mm. its way into the new series not, yeah. yet. But, you know, who knows? David
1: Tennant's driving that thing around next year.
0: You are my words. Fucking hell. Probably in a frilly shirt. I mean... We, we might speculate on the future of multi-doctor mm. and anniversary efforts at the end of this, if there's any speculation left well, to be done.
1: I think there is some parallels with The Dark Dimension, but we'll maybe come to that when we
0: get to the end, I guess. 100% like there's a few things as we wrap this up that we'll, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. chat about. So... Everybody fucks off into time. <laughs> yeah. Through a time vortex, essentially. And we get to meet some of the other doctors. Now obviously we can't meet all the doctors because three of them are dead and David Bradley's too young at this point, so uh you can't have a young David Bradley in it. First up, we get the Fifth Doctor with some Cybermen. Mmm. I thought actually the Fifth Doctor was surprisingly the best written in terms of, it sounded like it. I could hear Davison saying these lines. Yeah. But he he does have this conversation with the cyber, the Cybermen, which is the most hilarious bit of shit I've ever had the misfortune to.
1: Oh, I've got it here. Um, ah. They're difficult to reason with. This is the the Doctor sort of explaining to to Dorothy what the Cybermen are. Uh, they're difficult to reason with, but they certainly seem to appreciate the concept of futility. You continue to deny your destiny, Doctor. <laughs> If David Banks is ever busy, big finish, I'm, I'm right here. Uh, <laughs> Destiny is a bit of an emotive word for a cyberman to be using. Your future will be put as part of the cyber race. Your intelligence will be absorbed into my databanks. The implantation procedure will commence after the humanoids have been eradicated. Assuming your troops do defeat them, it's just very. Like, you could yeah. see some kids. Well, I say kids, men and women in their early 20s, uh, acting that dialogue out in a park somewhere on
0: YouTube. <laughs> 100%. But again, 12-year-old Dylan, I remember reading that and thinking, oh, <sighs> the Fifth Doctor is sort of like a soldier war hero. This is this is peak Doctor Who, what I want from my Doctor Who. I can see Davison making the best of it and just, you know. Mm. Da- Davison is consistently solid as the Doctor. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, he's, he's a great actor, Peter Davison. I think he's possibly one of the better served <laughs> here <laughs> of the cameos. Yes.
1: Yeah, he does get a bit more to do. I mean, it's a, it's a more exciting scene than yeah. the other Doctors get, mm. definitely.
0: So what they were trying to do is, and this kind of works in the remit of the story world, they go, okay, so we can, we've obviously had the seventh Doctor already and we know the seven Doctors died, so we're visiting the people he should have become. Makes sense. Then Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, arrives in uh, Doctor Who heaven, shall we call it. hmm <laughs> Hang where he runs <laughs> where he runs into John Pertwee now when i was reading this on friday night i thought Phew, this is a bit fucking ridiculous then on sunday a little thing called power of the doctor <laughs> aired yeah. and i was like well this is a bloody good idea but they're done in different ways, slightly. Mm. And the whole metaphor of Guardians of the Edge going over the edge. <laughs> and It's something that's nicked from Zagreus, essentially. Where Well, this nick from
1: Zagreus. It's also nicked from, um, is it Paul Cornell's Time Worm Revelation? Yes. There's a whole thing with the Doctor and Acer kind of running through the Doctor's mind. And there's kind of mm. old versions of the Doctor that are kind of still existing within that. Mm. It's been around for a while, this idea.
0: We'll talk a bit about what the other Doctors thought of this as we come to the end of it. But there are two things that I immediately thought of here. Can you imagine John Pertwee and Tom Baker getting on in this scene? Because Pertwee was not a fan of Tom Baker. No. Can you imagine being on the set for that day? Like,
1: I mean, I think it'd be worth it
0: getting made as long as somebody had a camera, you know, filming the yeah.
1: whole thing. I'd love to watch the kind of the, the rushes and the uh, the off off air recordings of the Blu-ray mm. of, of this. Yeah, I don't see them getting on and I think also there's there's something interesting in that you know in the 90s John Pertwee was the doctor it wasn't Tom Baker you know John Pertwee was the one doing radio plays on the BBC yeah. uh showing up at Noel's house party you know yeah all that stuff
0: because there was a nostalgia for the 70s and Tom Baker was not interested in being part of that yeah. nostalgia for Doctor Who so and the, the two most popular doctors were those two so I can see why Pertwee was pissed off when he yeah. when he got given the
1: script to kind of be usurped by by Tom Baker, and then obviously the fact that all the other Doctors get just as much screen time, if not less, better parts. Well, that as well is probably just adding insult to injury.
0: And again, can you imagine John Pertwee saying this stuff? No. I mean, I know he'll show up and do anything, but like, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't scream to me the Third Doctor in any way, shape, or form.
1: No, and I think part of me's thinking while reading it. And then you just reminded me of when you were talking about Davison. Is that what it feels like is they've given the best doctor material to Tom Baker and Peter Davison because they're like, oh, well, Tom Baker's the one everybody loves and Peter Davison's the best actor. Yeah. Um. We'll give John Pertwee less material because his back bothers him. And can't, can't. That's genuinely one of the reasons they give in the Richard Bigman article. They're concerned about how much Pertwee can be involved because of his... yeah. Long standing back issues. So that's presumably why he's just sat down in Doctor Who Heaven giving advice to the Fourth Doctor.
0: Which you wouldn't see nowadays on television. Just a bunch of old actors sat down giving the advice to the Doctor. Madness, isn't it? Yeah. In 2022. (laughs) What a time to be alive. (laughs) Then we get the Sixth Doctor. And this is a weird setup, isn't it?
1: It's a bizarre scene. He's in a courtroom defending some Ice Warriors
0: because the sixth doctrine has got to be around a trial because that's what he's going for
1: Yeah, it's interesting that Matthew Sweet interview with Colin Baker where where he goes oh is that why? because you used to work as a legal (laughs) like a legal secretary or something like that I can't remember exactly what his role was, or solicitor or something like that so just keep putting him in trials
0: I do think he also captures the Six Doctor's love of language I think it's the one thing that a Doctor Who fan can excel at Is mm-hmm. doing those Pippa Baker style speeches and giving them To a, a Six Doctor In any form
1: Yeah, yeah it's it—it's fine But then it's weird because like Davison's like In the thick of the action And then they, they sort of join the Six Doctor And he's just like in the middle of an adventure
0: Oh we find out what the Six Doctor's Day job is it's, Yeah it's just a doesn't it? A... <laughs>
1: <laughs> And he's defending this sort of very dubiously named Ice Warrior, Aslix. <laughs> and as you as you rightly pointed out a couple of episodes ago, what was it with people shagging Ice Warriors in the 90s?
0: <laughs> it's just what everybody did. They were, I guess they're the sexiest Doctor Who monsters. Toya Wilcox wouldn't agree, but you know. <laughs> God, that's um... a deep cut reference. <laughs> And then finally, we get Ace meeting the Seventh Doctor, uh, Mm. who we've seen dead at the beginning, so McCoy gets all the good parts in this. Yeah. And McCoy's basically there as a cipher for the plot... More than anything else. Yeah. He explains to Ace and any of the audience who might have still been watching on BBC One. Uh, <laughs> what. what Ace could you and...
1: imagine this going out
0: I mean, I guess we'll
1: talk about that, but could you imagine this going out on BBC
0: One? Yeah, it's insane. But yeah, I keep saying we'll come to things later, but I just think yeah. you know we need to make sure we cover all the elements of so the yeah, yeah, yeah. methodic yeah. order. And he explains... Who they would have been to each other, what the, the creature wants, what Hawkspur wants, and everything. Finally, so because the Machiavellian Seventh Doctor always knows he's one step ahead, even when mm. he's dead. Obviously, we get to see the Seventh Doctor later at the end. We also see the Fifth and Sixth Doctor in Cryogenics and the, the Third Doctor being hard done by. Five and Six almost get their hero moments, whereas, as we were saying about John Pertwee, he's just a pensioner on a rock or whatever it is. <laughs> That's
1: your episode, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about these potential cast members. So, despite a lot of pre-production work being done, uh, BBC Enterprises have done little in contacting the people they wanted to appear in it. Yeah, because I, I think
1: the kind of the thing that becomes incredibly apparent when you kind of read into the production on the Dark Dimension is that this isn't the sort of thing that BBC Enterprises
0: do. Absolutely not. You know? they, they, get, they get Colin Baker or John Pertwee in front of a camera to introduce some orphan episodes of Doctor yeah. Who. They don't create the 30th anniversary special. They get Tom Baker to go, Shada! Uh, <laughs> you know, to camera. They
1: don't get Tom Baker to properly be the Doctor again. Mm. And there's an interesting quote from one of the guys involved. David Jackson who was at uh, BBC Enterprises and was one of the people kind of working on the, the project. He met John Nathan-Turner and asked him to sort of be involved as like an advisor and associate producer. And uh, prior to this, John Nathan-Turner, who was kind of a freelancer for BBC Enterprises, had pitched them an idea of a kind of, what well, you should yeah. do, a feature length, you know, docu two episode, blah, 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 blah. And John Nathan-Turner apparently said, he was furious and said, that was my idea, you've stolen my idea. Uh, to which Jackson says, I didn't take that very seriously at all, I'm afraid. Having the idea of doing something that involved all the doctors and doing a one off Doctor <laughs> Who special hardly constituted intellectual property. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, we'd all be
0: fucked if that was the case. <laughs> there are actually a couple of plot synopsis for. He wrote them with David Roden, who mm. obviously did uh, Dimensions in Time. One of them involves all of the doctors and the celestial toy maker somehow. The plots are out there somewhere. And if I ever cover Dimensions in Time on this, I will definitely dig a little deeper into those plots.
1: You're going to get that
0: full-length edit from uh, Ian Levine? Well, <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing, essentially. And they, they just kind of assumed all the Doctors want to be involved because it's Doctor Who and Tom Baker's the one that doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And they've got him. Well, And they also kind of blagged, I thought I don't know if it was Jackson or somebody else at BBC Enterprises,
1: but in order to try and kind of get some more money, I, I don't think it was aid that was the, the con artist yeah. by no, the sounds no. of things it was that basically because some of the older doctors had agreed to work with John Nathan Turner on a speculative 30th anniversary film Yeah, they kind of said oh well yeah Sylvester McCoy's interested Peter Davison's interested
0: Right. and they yeah. hadn't
1: actually 100%
0: confirmed that they would want to work on this particular project they bypassed agents and sent scripts directly to them yes. Yeah. and so they get these scripts and they open them with no forewarning, it is a Tom Baker-heavy script. Yes. Understandably, they're a bit upset because I think they, they're they all thinking, we're doing the Five Doctors too. And what you get immediately is Colin Baker and John Pertwee just going, no, I'm not going to do it. There's video footage of them on behind the scenes at the Airzone Solution yeah. essentially saying they're not going to do it. John Pertwee had this theory that I don't think holds true. He said, well, multi-doctor stories either focus on the current Doctor or the eldest living one and I've got a feeling that that's something John Nathan T- Turner told him when he was like well I'll come back any time and he was like oh we're getting Patrick and back because he's the oldest living one so um but I don't think that's yeah. true yeah
1: well no it doesn't it doesn't really hold any water whatsoever I mean the first half of it does it is always kind of about the, the current Doctor but
0: well I suppose when John Pertwee did the three Doctors he was essentially the main star of it I yeah. think you would say yeah, absolutely. In The Five Doctors, the most of the plot happens to Davison, but that's only because he gets a lot of Tom Baker stuff.
1: That's true, and that's an interesting point. Yeah. is that even in 1983 they were still kind of thinking we should put Tom front and center the, the anniversary yeah.
0: special. So Colin and John said no. In fact, John Pertwee said a script was sent to me but my agent had n- had not had a chance to negotiate in any way before it was cancelled. It should have been given to a writer that knows something about what we're doing. Someone like Barry Letts. Uh, I don't know whether it should have been given to Barry Letts but um, <laughs> Ben Aronovich was kicking around. And yeah, yeah. I'm sure he could have cobbled something
1: yeah, because I think McCoy says something similar, doesn't he? So, hang on, I've got the quote here. there are many, many great writers out there who would really love to be invited to write for Doctor Who well known writers because it was the thirtieth anniversary a very big special. you most likely could have got some incredibly grand writer
0: to have written for <laughs> <him.">
1: <laughs> ah, but could they have uh,
0: turned around the script really quickly well, exactly Pip and jane Baker would have been your best bet at that point <laughs> I think that Sylvester McCoy would have done it. I think both Davison and McCoy would have actually done it. Um, yeah. I don't think Davison has, uh, especially in the nineties, had the loyalty to the other doctors. I don't think he. Ha- I don't think there is this deep loyalty or brotherhood between no. them or anything. But Davison was a successful actor, and he basically show up to anything if people were paying and he'd be and i heard the story of the reason he constantly gets hired because he shows up he's professional he's nice to everybody and then he fucks off and takes his check and it's why he's constantly in work and i think mccoy possibly gets a big enough part to make it worthwhile because he is even though he's not the main doctor he is the center of the story in a way and it ends ultimately with him still being the current doctor Which I think brings us tidily onto the final act and the climax. At which point, I think the pacing is all over the place. Now, maybe that would have been sorted out in the edit. But we get this big action sequence, and I don't really know if I can... I can't really tell you exactly what's going on. But Hawkspur's there, all the monsters are there, the fourth Doctor's there. Ace sacrifices herself, but doesn't sacrifice herself. The only nice stuff you get out of it, I think, is... The stuff between the brig and the fourth Doctor at the end. But again, it kind of would have made more sense if it was the third Doctor at this point.
1: Yes, yeah, it would. would.
0: Yeah, that ending's very odd because it kind of
1: sets up some heroic sacrifices and some tragic deaths. And then some of them are, you know, overwritten by whatever, you know, how they fix time and others aren't. And Mm. yeah, none of it makes a lot of sense there's a lot of action for the mm. doctor he's throw. he has a sword fight what's well, the greatest it's the greatest action movie graham harper's ever <laughs> read.
0: of course he throws a creature into the vortex how old Tom baker at this point
1: point? <laughs> <laughs> 60 odd would you say yeah well yeah he's he's almost he's in his late 80s now isn't he or is he not? Yeah. No, he's not 90 yet is he
0: late 80s i think yeah
1: so yeah so he'd be his late 50s then surely
0: could you see these action sequences been shot with Tom Baker, directed by Graham Harper? I'm sure there'd be stunt doubles involved.
1: but I think there would be a stunt double involved and it would be very creatively shot.
0: Yeah, The thing that worries me a lot about reading it is I know all the stuff that he wanted to do in Revelation and didn't have the time. And mm. this script screams, even with its heightened budget, screams are uh, actually... This is all going to look shit.
1: Well, they never had the, the budget for it, did they? You know, that's...
0: Yeah. So, how does it get
1: resolved? I don't know, mate. Something to do with a pyramid and...
0: Uh... <laughs> I re re-read the scene a few times and mm-hmm. I've had a couple of pints by this point. But um, the best I can get down to it is they win because the Brigadier presses a button. <laughs> <It> basically <laughs> reverses everything. It's, well, it's, it's as good an explanation as any. Yeah, I mean, it works in New Doctor Who all the <laughs> time. <so. laughs> True. It resets and we get the seventh Doctor back and Ace and they trundle off into the sunset once more. Although I have a problem with that. And it, it seems to happen quite a lot
1: nowadays where you get sort of sequels or spin offs or, you know, whatever that kind of revisit characters that you know hmm. and love. It takes them on a new adventure and then leaves them exactly where they were. Yeah when you last left them it's literally you're like picking the toys of the toy box having a play putting them back in and the end of this with the seventh doctor and ace is the end of survival yeah they're just 100%. walking off into the sunset who knows if they'll ever be back yeah. you know bye bye see ya yeah. so it's like well what was the point in any of that
0: i mean it was just to tell a story with tom baker ultimately yeah yeah and that that's what it keeps coming back to mm. we want the most successful doctor back Rather than what they would do now, potentially maybe do, may not be doing, is just go. We want the most successful doctor back. We don't need anybody else. Um, they have to think of a convoluted fan reason. Yes, because you could have done the t- the fourth doctor didn't regenerate with a ten seconds of explanation and had none of those other characters. In oh it. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and then at the end, have Sylvester McCoy show up, or yeah. not? You could just have the Doctor, mm. the Fourth Doctor, fixing everything. Going back into the TARDIS and then, you know, falling over or whatever.
0: Yeah. How do we think this would have looked? God awful. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know.
1: Um, I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because it's a it's it started off life as a straight to video mm. movie, but with a script that I think I think it's fair to say has pretensions of being something much bigger. Yeah. Like
0: I can't imagine this as a straight to video film the script no. you, you get i mean say doctor who videos from i don't know say they were selling forty thousand at the time and they thought a new tom baker might sell a hundred thousand and they're getting mm-hmm. a fiver off each video you're still not nearing the amount of money no. that you need to make this script
1: and that was kind of why it folded wasn't it it was that the takings wouldn't justify the, the budget essentially yeah. and even when it moves to bbc one i can't even see it on bbc one at that point No. It doesn't feel of a piece with anything else that was on
0: BBC One at that point. I think, you know, Graham Harper was like, we're going to shoot it on film. But I can imagine him wanting to shoot it on film. And then at the last minute, someone going, we're going to have to shoot it on videotape, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with all these, you know, they had some interesting people design. Like the people who were doing Jim Henson's workshop, who did Dark Crystal. And, you know, you see that redesigned, you see design concepts for redesigned cybermen and things like that i wonder how far you get down the line before you they go oh we can't afford these scary looking <laughs> cybermen mm. but we've got the suits from the 80s yeah. and all of a sudden it looks i think it possibly looks somewhere between dark season and downtime that is yeah that is yeah. that is what i think a really well shot version of those but just compromise after compromise as they realize they haven't got any money yeah definitely the action wouldn't look terrible. The sword fight would have looked terrible. Yeah, I just can't see it. So, have you seen the design, the redesigned monsters that were. Yeah, I've seen so, the, Sci- the Cybermen and the Ice Warriors. The Cybermen and the Ice Warriors are out there. And they've. Like, the Ice Warriors, I think, look cool. Hmm. They're kind of a lot
1: sleeker, aren't they? They're kind of.
0: Yeah. And they they've got like pincers, and hmm. you've got like these abs, you see. The cybermen look cool but they don't look like there's no reason for cybermen to look like that yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah they've got these long claw wolverine claws and they've got like a skeleton face and it's again it's sort of peak 90s sci-fi in that respect yeah definitely there was also a design done for a special weapons dialogue have you ever seen that
1: oh i have seen that before right okay so that was for for this
0: that So Mike Tucker did the design and then some fan somewhere many years later made it. But that right, is what okay. it would have looked like. Which, again, I think would have looked cool. Mm-hmm. But I, I can also see it wobbling around on the pavement <laughs> like they were in Remembrance and stuff like yes. that. And it just being pretty shit.
1: But then, ever was it thus, I suppose, you know, <laughs> with Doctor Who?
0: I think everybody goes in with the best intentions and I think... Had it been made, it would not have looked like anybody wanted it to to look. Uh, yeah. Not without a shitload more money, anyway. So, let's talk a little bit about what happened. So, Enterprises and BBC TV submitted budgets. Enterprises, one, was coming in at £750,000 and BBC TV's £1.2 Now, that £1.2 does sound a lot more realistic, I guess yeah. you would say. But, obviously the internal board at the BBC went, Well, enterprises said they can make it cheaper, so <laughs> we're gonna do it for three quarters of a million pounds. But everybody was worried that they were they couldn't make drama because they'd never done it for and they were costing far too low the main cancellation of the project fell to a miscalculation of the cost of the program a large sum of money had not been added to both the cost and revenue of the project that would cost to put on air now as someone who budgets films and tv shows for a living yeah that's the sort of terrible mistake that could end your career
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's like an apprentice task isn't it
0: so right what will
1: you do (laughs) got put on a Who anniversary special (laughs) i think these sort of you know the budget even you know they didn't think they'd get any return from it either and Mm. well enough return from it i think is one of the other sort of factors
0: involved but it it did bumble on for a bit and there was this whole thing where the bbc board was put together to discuss the project while the producers were away and they made a vote that the production was nothing more than a hastily cobbled together money spinner and no thought regarding a realistic production of production schedules and budgets, and that was it, essentially. Mm. But it didn't quite die when everybody thought it had died. BBC Enterprise was still determined to try and spin it out and get it out in time for Christmas 1993, and Aid was instructed to rewrite the scripts featuring only the fourth and the seventh Doctor. Interesting. Which is probably a more realistic version of it. Yeah. There's also a world where Philip Siegel says that he got wind of it and said, cancel it.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So thoughts that Siegel might have brought pressure to bear on Lost in the Dark Dimension via his friendship with Alan Yentob appear to have no basis in truth. Siegel didn't meet Yentob until early June 1993, and at that point his communication with him was sporadic. Indeed, following a telephone conversation between the two on the 22nd of June, a month went by before Siegel contacted him again, and when he did, the indication was that the whole proposal was still in doubt.
0: It sounds like a bit of a line that Yentob's probably spinning to Siegel and also to the other people going, well, you know, this might jeopardise our Spielberg relationship. Yeah,
1: I think that's it, because it says it goes on to say that Yentob did make inquiries as to getting the deal to move forward, um, and Siegel was informed by telephone on the 30th of July that the BBC Enterprises Board had finally given the official go-ahead to the Amblin project, although details continue to be thrashed out for the next few months. Um. And then, obviously, it's not until 1994 that they start working on the TV movie. Interesting.
0: So, he never had anything to do with it. But by this point, it's dead in the water. Yeah. And we never got it. What are kind of the takeaways... I guess the takeaways and comparisons that we can take for modern Doctor Who on what it did right, what it did wrong, things that may have actually been used in stories? Are there things there that you're like that's a gem of a good idea and especially now I've had power of the doctor and stuff like that. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, I think, you know, like I said at the start, I think, you know, the idea of a, a dystopian world without the doctor is, is obviously, it's a good one mm. so much so that it's been dealt with a couple of times since mm. the show's come back. Also the idea of bringing back the most popular doctor, <laughs> you know, as, has, uh, well, we're, we're in it we're we're living through it right now. Um, mm. We've got David Tennant back and, I'm hoping, because it's Russell T. Davis, there's more to it than just, you know... Oh, we've got David Tennant back. He's the 14th Doctor Who. I think there will be. Because it's the fact the clothes change. And I know it's because the regeneration was shot like a year ago and yeah. yada, yada, yada. But I don't know. the the Russell T. knows what he's doing. And if he's written he in does. the clothes change, there's a reason for that, surely.
0: Yeah, it'll be brought up. I also think it's interesting how the Doctors were like, well, I'm not doing a shitty little cameo. Whereas this time they were like, Sign me up for a shitty little cameo, I'll be there.
1: Well, because the the show's changed, hasn't it? It's like a shitty little cameo in a straight-to-video film that might have gone up on BBC One, although I I have no idea how that would have played out. And I have a feeling it... Because was it not going to be something like it was going to be edited down and then you would have like a feature-length... Yeah, Versional video so. or something like that. So you would probably just cut all the past Doctors out and just have take the best time McCoy.
0: I think it probably would have ended up, once they'd seen it, late night on BBC Two rather than primetime BBC One. Quite
1: probably, yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's it's not a relaunch for Doctor Who. No. And it's not even really a celebration of Doctor Who. It's quite bleak and not particularly... It's definitely a kind of Doctor Who anniversary special for a year in which Doctor Who is missing, presumed dead, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... (laughs) There's no... Yeah, it's very sort of funereal in its Mm -hmm. atmosphere.
0: And even when they do try to inject some humour later on down the line with the fourth Doctor, Mm -hmm. it's still very much that season 18 version of the fourth Doctor rather than... Like, there is no energy and fun of Doctor Who in this script. It has got the character of the Doctor in it multiple times and (laughs) Doctor Who things... But it is—it's almost like it's not a Doctor Who script. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. I do think there's a good story in there somewhere, and I know we've said that Doctor Who's used some of the ideas. But I do—I love the idea of an unregenerated Doctor maybe being found by the current Doctor or a companion or something, and a story being told mm-hmm. there. And I think somebody like Russell T. Davis could do a brilliant version of that. Yes, it's not here. <laughs> just, just, just to clarify. Yeah, imagine. You don't know that the TV movie spawned the world of the Eighth Doctor. And you've got a choice. And it's not you that's choosing. It's 12, 13-year-old you choosing. Mm. You can have the TV movie or you can have the Dark Dimension. What does 12-year-old you choose? God.
1: See, uh, I'd be making this choice in 1996, I guess, would I?
0: Yes, yes, you would, yeah.
1: See, I really liked the TV movie when it went out, and I, if I was twelve, thirteen years old, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have bothered my ass to read the script. But I mean, if I had a full, you know, a full production to watch, okay, let's go with that as the hypothetical situation. Yeah, yeah, I think I probably would go with Dark Dimension because it's yeah. it is the Doctor Who you kind of want at that age, isn't it? It's oh, all the monsters, goodness. all the doctors, all the action, mm-hmm. none of the fun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. None of the romance, none of the joy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Nobody
0: in this script's ever had sex. Even the brigadiers. <laughs> yeah. Son was probably adopted. He was loomed. Um, he was loomed. Yeah. The brigadier's son was loomed. But I gather now, given the choice, we're much oh, better off with the 100%. TV movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think Doctor Who would still have come. I'm not. You know, about to say that the, if the dark dimension had come out, it would have killed Doctor Who. I think we would still probably end up with it coming back in 2005.
0: A hundred percent. I don't think there's any version of this, even though it does, the end feels like a lovely little coda to the classic series in a way, like a last hurrah for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a world where someone got BBC go, we should get another series. We should get Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred back together and uh, wheel them out and then regenerate yeah. them into someone new. It just doesn't. No,
1: I don't know. Cause I think, you know, the dark dimension probably would have done about the same, ratings in the UK as the TV movie did. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, But obviously it would have been a bigger risk for them because it was all them rather than a co-production.
0: So... There are a couple of fan adaptations of it out there. There's at least two animations and one audio that I know of, including Ian Levine's version, which has even got some of the cast, such as Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred in it, but we're unlikely to ever see them. Virgin Publishing had planned to produce two books associated with the production, one which would have been a novelisation, obviously, and the other a behind-the-scenes guide, but after the cancellation, they just kind of went, no, nah, we don't want to do it. Which is weird, because I would have thought they would have still done the book, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Big finish when Nick Briggs in charge will not go anywhere near this, because he doesn't like Adrian. I think fair enough,
1: to be honest. Yeah,
0: But they made The Prisoner in Space. <laughs> so they did. God.
1: And that was quite recently as well, I think.
0: Wasn't yeah, it? I know. I mean, compared to that, this is... Oh, Lockety yeah. ...Davis level. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so... Is it a clanger, a banger, or an average meander? I've got a third one in my mind. I've got a third one. <laughs> Is this new? It's new. <laughs> I like I like average meander.
1: That's good. Yeah. Um I think I'm gonna go average meander actually. Because I think yeah. there's some interesting ideas in it. And as I say, it leaves the civ at the ace exactly where you left them. So yeah, it's a meander. It doesn't doesn't do anything.
0: It's an average meander from me, but twelve-year-old me would have called it a banger. Oh
1: I same, same. <laughs>
0: Too, too, too hot for TV. So, me and Mark chatted on for quite a while there about the Dark Dimensions and continued to chat further about the three comic strips we're going to cover. So, I've decided to split the podcast into two, with the second episode dropping next week. So, until next time, this has been Doctor Who, too hot for TV. I know it's only a script. Actually, is there anything else you want to say on it?
1: Um, Probably, but not at this exact moment. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: mean, we've we've gone on for
1: quite some time, haven't we?
0: We've done done about an hour on it. We've done a whole podcast (laughs) on just this. So, yeah. (laughs)